Just Some Podcast Media. The thoughts and opinions on Just Some Podcast are of the hosts and guests and do not represent the views of organizations that employ them or they volunteer for. They are also not responsible for spontaneous black holes or nuclear wars that may occur. You have been warned. Welcome, 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 everybody, to another fun-filled, exciting, and redo episode of Just Some Podcast. This is Tom. Hey, this is Ben, and hopefully you can hear me this time. Well, I'm get I'm getting this live video pulled up. Maybe. I mean, I think there we go. There we go. Now, now we're doing something. So go ahead and bed. Give everybody a uh, sound check. Check one, two, three, four. Making sure that everybody can hear me. Can you hear me? I mean, I know Tom uh, can, but hopefully I can. can too. I mean, I'm having a great time, <laughs> and. This is weird because I clicked on watch the live video and it's showing me a video from the last time. Oh, I think we're hey, back. they can uh, everybody can hear me now. Great, awesome. <clears throat> Unfortunately, you're both loud and clear. Thanks, Miranda. Okay, so everything that I said earlier is uh yeah. Tom, let's start with how are you? <laughs> I am uh swell. And sweating slightly. Well, that does happen when it's July. I had to look down and make sure it was still July. I was like, it is still July right now. Yes, I think if I remember correctly, yeah, it is still July. But uh, Ben, do you want to go over the uh, topic at hand again? I would love to. So what we had uh, talked about was um, in case people are lived under a rock and don't have Facebook, which then I don't know how they would be watching us right now. But if they didn't, um, there has been a pandemic that has went on for the last year and a half fish. So, we're, you know, give or take. Um, it was new news to Tom, but he did. Uh, you know, we did include him in on it on the first take of this. Um so this episode is going to be just kind of a different type of episode. We're not doing a story. We're not doing other stuff. It's going to just be kind of a mental debriefing, talking about moral injury, talking about burnout in relation to the pandemic and everything that we have kind of went through uh, personally, professionally over the last year. If you our healthcare professional and want to talk about ways that you're experiencing burnout, shoot us a message. You can comment below, you can do whatever you, you know, and we can certainly get your story out too. I don't know how long this episode is going to be. It may be 10 minutes. It may be two hours. 
Um, but it's basically just us kind of processing through the shit that we've dealt with for the last year and a half. So while usually we try to make our episodes super light and airy and, you know, sometimes occasionally funny, um, and we're certainly going to do our best this episode, there is going to be some heavier content. So just be aware, or or there may not be, I don't know. It's a live episode. We not really sure where it ever is going to go. So, but, uh, Ben, did you want to start off, start us off down the road? with the, the social media thing or yeah i was gonna say did you, did you want to do the social media thing and then we'll get started on sure since they couldn't hear it last time i did it and i did it great then so it was it was by far the most perfect i mean people would do tributes and make entire songs about how well he did last time if they had just heard it that's true um but they didn't so it's okay you can find us. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all at Justin Podcast. Our website's www.justsomepodcast.com. Our email is admin at justsomepodcast.com as well. And I certainly want to make sure that we give a shout out to our sponsor who helps to keep us going and keep, you know, paying the bills. Um, if you're a nurse practitioner, a nurse practitioner student, you got questions about your finances, you know, Maybe that scratch your ticket idea and, and playing the lotto and the Powerball is not paying off for you. Give Scott a call. Give Scott an email. Check out his website. It's mynpadvisor.com slash podcast. That'll tell him that we sent you. And, you know, we I've been working with him and going kind of going over some financial stuff. And it's really interesting the way he can kind of plug things in and say, well, here's where you're at now. Here's where you need to be here's the way that you can get there. So, I mean, I think it's going to be great information for you if, if you need that information. So. And we certainly do appreciate him and he's doing a great job. So thank you, Scott, for everything. Give us the disclosure voice. That's what it sounds like to me when he does it really fast. It just sounds (laughs) a slightly high pitched Ben. And yes. garbled. So there you go. Well, Tom, ben. let's just let's just jump into the to the meat of this. How how did COVID affect you personally? And I don't mean like did you get it or not. I mean like Fair. talking personal lives type. Um and I and I don't don't mean the the disinformation bullshit on Facebook. We'll get to that later. So I, I would say it in a lot of ways, it's actually hard for me to describe um, because one, we're still in it. So I guess my brain right. hasn't, my brain hasn't um, begun the process of trying to see what picture it's been you know i there's a lot of days where we've been in so long sometimes i don't want to say i forget about covid but it's now become part of my routine yeah you know i i I haven't had to segment it off and go wow we we went through that um it has affected me in, in a lot of ways personally um you know work 
directly uh, for both myself and my wife, who people that listen to the show regularly know is a respiratory therapist at a major university hospital. It, you know, by far, she was definitely like when you think or picture someone in your head and you're like, that is a person literally touching COVID patients like face to face with them. She's one of those. Yeah. So I, I mean, every day coming home or when you hear about, you know, the tragedies that certainly came along with this, she was experiencing them. So I was going through it myself, plus trying to be a supportive husband to someone that was also going through it. So I, I would say it has been mentally draining. I, I don't know at any point while we, and you and I both know, if nothing else, statistically, we have taken care of and been face-to-face -face with patients that are COVID-19 positive. Yeah. So it's not like I haven't been face-to-face. -face. I've taken care of plenty of patients post-COVID or with COVID symptoms. And, you know, you can name the whole list, but um, it, it affected me going to work knowing like what I was getting into, but then every day, like what she was getting into and then coming home, we were like, Oh great. You know, am I going to give it to my kid? Am I going to give it to a family member? You know, am I going to get it? Like it, it was um, distressing. It was like every day looming like tragedy. It was like, it's like, imagine if someone said, I took the lug nuts off one of your tires, but I'm not going to tell you which tire you had to drive to work every day. Like one of these days, this tire is going to come off, you know, like this is going to happen. Um, and that's how it felt every day. It was like, okay, you know, is today the day something terrible happens at work, you know, or is that I finally catch it. And then, like I said, even more distressing was, what if I give it to my mother? What if I give it to my sisters? What if I give it to my son? It just became this like in the beginning. And, and like I said, I, I think you and I will probably you, I, and most of the people listening, you know, it's been a uh, transition. It's been a, we went through this initial, like, you know, Oh my God, the world's coming to an end. Right. Into, well, maybe it's not going to be that bad to, the disinformation wars that you were just discussing earlier, which now has propagated to wolf, wolf, sh hell, we might be going through this again. Like, I don't know how to get off this carousel, and I really don't like being on it any longer. Like, that's how I felt this whole time. And a lot of that was very similar to me, especially at the beginning. It was that, that fear of I was going to bring it home to my wife or my children. Um, and just, you know, how, how are we going to deal with that? I mean, there was a short time um, when the case numbers went up here locally that I moved into the spare bedroom for six weeks or so um, just to further insulate my, my family from the potential of getting it. Um, my daughter ended up contracting COVID, my oldest daughter, um, contracted COVID-19. Um, it was after my wife and I got vaccinated and her symptoms were pretty minor other than she had to miss school and had a headache and cough. I mean, kind of the, the typical symptoms that you see for, for pediatric patients, but 
you still feel like, well, you know, is, you know, was that for me? Was that from the school? You know, you know, you never really know. And I, I think the never knowing is the, the worst part, you know, I, I mean, I've seen dangerous things that are upfront. Like, you know, you're getting into something like, or if you're driving a car too fast, like, you know, you could see stuff. You're like, Oh, but when you're dealing with an infectious disease every day is, well, did I <laughs> like, did, did it, did it happen? Did it not happen? And I, that makes it so much worse. And then again, going back to we've not only are we bearing the burden of having to take care of people, but then on top of it, we may be injuring the people we love to do it. And some days that weighed heavily on me, you know, especially when you get, you know, cause, and I, I'm sure everyone's office was different in, in most ways about how they handled this, but you know, you would get a thing saying, Hey, just so you know, you saw a patient three days ago and they're positive for COVID-19 and you're like, well, crap. You know, I, I did wash my hands. I did do this. I did do this, but, but, but did I enough? Like, did, did I, should I wash them twice? Like, oh crap. Like it, it just became this game of every day became you, you didn't know which person had a bomb strapped to their chest. <laughs> it's like, oh God. And I got it. And I wanted to see them. I wanted to take care of my patients, but that realization was constantly there. Like, this could be it. I'm going to ask you this question because I'm going to answer it also. Did it make you question your own mortality as far as was there a part of you that says, if I get this, is it, is it going to be the end? Oh, yes. Yes. Um, and again, and not to beat a dead horse into the ground, because we've talked about me being law enforcement. That was a different threat. Like I said before, I knew the threat. You know, like you could see it, you learned to deal with it. It was a different threat. This was this insidious every day was, you know, if I got a headache, it became, oh, crap. You know, is this, you know, yeah. Oh, I got some heartburn. Was it from the taco Tuesday or was it because my lungs are going to stop working on their own? You know, it, it did. It did certainly make me have a for lack of a better term a mini midlife crisis like what am i doing why am i here you know is this what i'm supposed to be doing with my life you know am i going to die doing something and wish i had done something different like it, it, it did i went through a lot of questions in my own head there was a point and it was when i had moved into the spare bedroom that I have an app on my phone that saves all my passwords for like my bank accounts and emails and all my information for work, like my MPI number and all that stuff, just so I have it readily available. <clears throat> I, I created a file in that that just was financial information. And it was my stocks, my Bitcoin. I mean, I, everything that I had, where everything was, how to log into everything, just in the off chance that my wife would need it. And there were many nights I, I, that I tried to have that conversation 
but I couldn't bring myself to do it because I could, I didn't want to admit to her that I was worried. Concerned. Yeah. And she's still to this day, other than if she's listening to it now, <laughs> she knows it's on there, but I, I could not admit to her that, Hey, this worries me. And here's what you would need to do if in, in the event that, that, you know, I passed away from this. I, um, did not do that specific um, item and nor nor do I believe my wife and I had a really in-depth conversation about it to be honest I think we both knew what we were trying to deal with and we were as supportive as we could be but I don't remember having a single like sit down like okay you know here's the situation I will tell you this um I've gotten that email, a family member that was in Iraq fighting, um, you know, with the armed services sent me that email like, hey, you know, bad stuff happened today and I thought I was going to bite it. So if I do, this is what, you know, I need you to know, which was not you know the information you are like you open this email like oh i can't wait to read this what (laughs) yeah exactly yeah that's so i i have i both understand what you're saying from wanting to give that information to also being the person who's got it and it is a tough tough conversation to have i think it's necessary and i applaud you for even having the foresight to want to talk about it i i just I think both Megan and I just kind of knew like, okay, this is what we're going through. And I don't, I, it wasn't a denial issue. It was more of a, we were just focused on the task at hand. And when we got home, we bitched about our day. And then we didn't want to talk. Like it was done. Like I, I took my 30 minutes. I bitched about what happened at work. She took her 30 minutes. She bitched about what happened at work. And then we didn't want to talk about work, Yeah, you know? So it was kind of like, and we weren't going outside. You know, we didn't really, especially in the beginning, nobody really came in. Of course, that quickly changed with children. But um, yeah, just lots of decon. And I saw some very inventive things. That was that was one of the things that actually made me really happy was with a couple, excuse me, coworkers. Like I know one, her husband set up an entire decon tent in their garage so that when she came home she went through step one take off all your clothes and stuff here step two go to this next like it was partitioned it was very cool and i was like that but it also showed me like how much this person obviously cared like he went through all the trouble to create this system so that she could be safe and then he could be safe and i was like man that's that's really cool so i saw things during COVID, I, I don't want to say the entire experience has been negative because there have been things where people did look at life and say, maybe, maybe I'm going to punch the ticket today. And I don't, this isn't where I want to be when it happens. And so there have, I believe, in some way, been some fu- fundamental changes to some people that have been good. But let's face the facts, you know, if that's 10%, that means 90% of this hasn't been great. So yeah. it's it's been it's been a weight to bear, and especially for those in healthcare. And that's not to diminish retail workers or people that work drive-throughs. Good lord, I can't imagine, you know, the stress they went through. 
But in particular for us at healthcare, we knew the people we were going to be dealing with were likely going to be sick and or infected. So I think that adds a certain level of stress. Miranda uh, in the comments said that she took out another insurance policy. She wrote out a will. Uh, She wanted to make sure that her daughter was set up for life. She printed out pictures, worked on family history. Um, She said, you're prepping for the death you see, not the death you're used to seeing as a medical professional. It's the death you fear. And that pretty well sums it up great. Yeah, I think Miranda pretty much hit that one on the head. And uh, but that's terrible. Again, that's the insidious nature of what we've been dealing with is think about what she just said. You know, I'm preparing to try and set up a life for my child in case I can't be there to provide it. Yeah. And I mean, and that was a real concern. I mean, it still is. I'm not trying to downplay that by absolutely, but uh, it's probably less of at the moment anyway, unless we had another wave. Um, so professionally, um, I was pretty much insulated to an extent, um, from direct care in, uh, you know, of COVID patients in that I, and I don't work in the hospital. I don't work in the ICU. Um, I've not worked in the ER for several years now. So a lot of mine is clinic work. I mean, that's, that's what I do. Um, we do have a fever clinic set up and there was uh, several providers that stepped in and, and kind of would cover that so that I wouldn't have to just because of my asthma and the fear that if I got it, it would be bad for me, worse for me than it would be for them. So they had stepped up and um, covered some of those shifts for me. And I mean, I don't know that I've ever been able to express that gratefulness to them, but you know, I, I was very grateful for that. Um, now I still, again, being in the clinic, you still have that risk of seeing patients. We're still wearing masks. We're still, you know, doing what we need to do. Um, but how did, how did things, did, did things change for you professionally? I oh, mean, absolutely. So pre COVID, um, again, I work in a clinic setting. Okay. Um, Pre-COVID, you know, things were where they're at now, roughly. Like, things were just getting, it seems like every day busier, you know, adding patients to my panel. You know, every day just became more of a floodgate. It just seemed like they were opening it a little more (laughs) every day, and it just kept coming in. And then COVID really started to, to turn up. Like, it really started to heat up. And I will say... I think every health system did good and bad things during all of this, but I was very proud of in the most part, how my facility handled things and basically said, uh, we're not going to put a bunch of people at risk, including other patients, which I admired. And we had very stringent like visitor restrictions. If you have any sort of um, symptoms, et cetera, you know, we really tried to make the entire process as seamless yet safe as possible for all of our patients to be seen and include telehealth. So we did a lot of stuff where we learned about how to do telehealth. And so it certainly transformed how we saw patients. Now, over time, some of those restrictions got 
lifted and other things got eased off. I mean, so some things were still wearing masks and stuff like that. But other than that, business has returned to normal. So I I definitely felt that clamp down of, well, this is how we're going to see things because we desperately were trying to take care of patients, but somehow do it in a safer manner. Yeah. And those, those two things didn't always gel. Like it was hard to see a max volume of patients when you couldn't see people with symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of very similar to how we did things. I mean, um, when it first hit, our waiting rooms were shut down. Um, I mean, we more or less didn't have patients in if they had any type of symptoms. And of course, you know, with COVID, there's, there's a, a variety of symptoms that could potentially be concerning. Um, I was very impressed with how quickly we were able to incorporate telehealth, but also how quickly insurance companies, Medicare, Medicaid stood up and said, hey, yes, okay, you know, this is a viable option to at least communicate and take care of your patients. Um, I still I still really enjoy telehealth. I hope that it is something that will continue to stick around. I did see something on Facebook the other day uh, from a friend that said that she's starting to get some denials for telehealth unless it's specifically for COVID-19 symptoms, and I, I really hope that that doesn't fall by the wayside because it is a it's a valuable tool for certain aspects of patients now granted if you have chest pains or you have you know things like that obviously there's things you can't see via telehealth but if i was an employer i would be pushing my insurance company to pay for those because my employee can miss 10 minutes or 15 minutes to do the a telehealth visit as opposed to having to take a whole day off work or a half a day off work or, or whatever the case may be. Um, so, I mean, I really hope that that's something that sticks around. Yeah. The, uh, the way in which we treated people and I, I'm going to go on a limb here a little bit because some of this was what we heard, like when we interviewed Shannon who had been in New York city. Um, and again, some of this is from friends and family members. Cause I'm still really close with a lot of ER workers. I used to, you know, serve with and i what they went through is just stuff i it's hard for me to actually fathom in a lot of ways right because like i said i know watching my loved ones come home from work and they literally would have the indentions on their face from the equipment that they had to wear all day or you know just <laughs> so dripping in sweat from being gowned up for an entire day for an entire shift, like just seeing some of the stuff and it's like, okay, it doesn't sound that bad well, until you do it every day for 12 hours a day. Yeah. And then it becomes excruciating. And then finally, one of the things I was going to say, one of the things I actually liked or I heard, and I was like, that's, that's how it should happen is when this really got bad. And again, Shannon, other people we know the hospital, I don't want to say hospital policies went out the door as in, you know, for everything, but like it became just keep them alive. Like we're going to put all the supplies in the middle of the room, like stop worrying about charting every little thing, take care of your patients, you right. know, chart what you can later. And I, I think 
people think that's how it is all the time. I'm like, no, there is so much bullshit that we have to go through. Like, you don't know how many times I have to click a mouse on boxes just to order you medication. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, so when you're in the hospital setting and hands on with a patient, the ability for somebody to go stop worrying about the bullshit, take care of your patient was something that I was like, finally, you know, like I think that's when I knew this was real. When hospitals were like, stop worrying about charting every goddamn thing, fix this. You're like, ooh, that's a big deal. Like, I think to me, that was the eye opener, like, oh shit, it's real. Like, this is it. This is it. It's here. Is when I heard that. Um, just jumping back into comments over here. Seth uh, had a family member, as he sure most did, that had COVID. He said it's scarier to see someone who's older and wasn't sure they could survive it than actually getting it for him. Um, he also uh, makes mention of uh, working with uh, intellectually uh disabled individuals uh, he said you worry about those you care for and you have their life depending on you as long as going home and expect the same um, and then Miranda um, actually had COVID um, and she talks about the guilt that she felt from that uh, she said you know it was guilt from missing work um, knowing uh, how burnout your coworkers already were and then of course you know felt like you were making things worse because you had COVID um, her daughter had to do school from home, miss parties, field trips. Um, she felt a lot of guilt just because she chose this profession and it, uh, in fact, it impacted her child in a negative way. She said, I never thought being a nurse would do that. I thought it was always going to be the most encouraging and positive thing she remembered about me. And it may still be once this is over, but where does the compassion start in this and the resentment end? Well, so first and I'm Ben, I, I want to hear what you have to say about this, but first um, for Miranda or anybody in her situation, I don't think anybody would ever actually, you know, be mad at you or blame. And I understand that feeling of guilt. I, I'm just trying to tell you that if you haven't forgiven yourself for it, now's the time because we all understand all right, we've all been in that position where you've been the person picking up the slack or you've been the person having to miss because of it. Yeah. And either way, the point is this, we're all one team. We're all trying to take care of patients. We're trying to do what's best for, for each other and for them. And so if that's what it took, then that's what it took. So please, I, I hope if you haven't had that little conversation in your head where you said it was okay, do it now because it was. Um, but, and I would say, you know, and, that, and that's some of that's just the downfall of nursing, unfortunately, is staffing, you know, and staffing yeah, ratios. Uh, and which you know, I don't that think would be that a whole other episode. Yeah, I don't, I but, don't think, I think that iceberg tip has just started to rise. I don't think that's going away anytime soon again. But unfortunately, and that's how it always, I mean, even taking vacation, I mean, there, you know, there's a certain amount of guilt with, with that. Yeah. Um, because it's, it's basically screw your buddy over. And you know that whenever you're off work, somebody else is picking up that slack. Um, but yeah, I would agree with Tom. Um, as far as the coworkers, forgive yourself. I'm sure no one held it. You know, no one harbors any ill will towards you about that. As far as your child, that child is very well taken care of. I know that child real well. Um, <laughs> well you were 
doing wonderful for that child. And she will remember how wonderful of a nurse you are. So, well, she, she asked a question there at the end that actually I think is an, another good way or another good road to start traveling here is where does the compassion start and the resentment end? Because there's a lot of it. I mean, I thought there was a lot before, but it's been like a hundred years worth of bullshit just got compressed into one year and we're all dealing with it. And I don't know. Um, I don't know what or where to even start because the problem I, and this is my opinion. I want to hear what Ben has to say about it, or I want to hear what everybody has to say about it, but is I don't think the fight is over. And that's why I don't think that there's a great answer is because we're not done. Right. Okay. Like, uh, people being butthurt about how things have been handled, which there is reason to be in some cases. Okay. But this whole situation isn't done. And there's so many factors that lead to, you know, there's division. There's people with no scientific background who think that they know more than the people with scientific backgrounds. You know, there's misinformation on both sides. Like there, there is no, there is no side without a scar because of this whole situation. So I don't want anybody to think I'm pointing fingers in any one direction. I just feel like everybody feels in some way that their point of view is the most important. And that has led to a lot of misinformation, uh, bad conversations and arguments that led nowhere. And so with all that together and the fact that it's coming back again for another wave, probably I, I don't know that there is going to be an end to the resentment or at least not anytime soon. And I, I unfortunately I agree with you. And like you, the best analogy I was thinking of as you were talking was, you know, if you have, you know, a boxer and it's a 12 round fight um, and they go up and interview him after the end of round eight. And they're like, so, uh, you know, what are you gonna do better in your, in your next fight, you know, or, or how are you gonna yeah. prepare better? And it's like, well, I, this one's, not, yeah. You know, like, so unfortunately, I'm still trying not to get knocked out now. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. That's a problem. Um, yeah, I just, I think it will come with time. Yeah. It, but it, it's going to be one of those things where, it's different for everybody, you know, it's, it's going to be like grief, you know, it, it's all, and that's got a lot of like the stuff that we talked about with Eric in the past, you know, there's going to, and like he said, there's going to be a lot of shit that people deal with when this is completely all over hundred yeah. percent and everybody's going to deal with it differently. Um, hopefully mostly positive, you know, uh, coping mechanisms, <laughs> but uh, I, I would say I've de developed it, and I mean, we don't really need to get into every detail right now. I would say I've developed some unhealthy coping mechanisms throughout this whole process. Um, I would also say I developed some good ones. Uh, there are things I finally was like, you need to get your ass in gear, son. And I did in some ways. So there, there, I don't think this entire situation is negative. I think there were things and there are going to be things that 20 years from now wouldn't have happened or they would have happened, but 
in a different capacity if this pandemic didn't take place. Like it's forcing us to get better and re-examine how we do things. And I think that is going to be a good thing in the end. But unfortunately, there's all the trauma and terror associated with that growing pain. And like I said, instead of it happening over 20 years, we're doing it in one. And that is going to be catastrophic in some ways. I just I just feel like that's how it's going to end. And unfortunately, like uh, Jacqueline in our comment section, I think there are a lot of healthcare workers that are going to be permanently scarred uh, yeah. over this. Um, what Tom's referencing, um, she said she graduated with her FNP uh, December of 20. Uh, immediately left for a, a COVID crisis contract um, as an ER nurse. Uh, says left me with PTSD, and now I don't even want to work in medicine anymore. And she's completely at a loss. Well, and again, I, I think this is some of the things that I know we've talked about before, even way prior to COVID. And that is the public's thought process and perception that they can be mentally verbally and emotionally abusive to healthcare workers and now that has been amplified now they're like well i'm sick and i'm with sick with covid so now i'm definitely allowed to kick the shit out of you and i'm like no you're not <laughs> right. so i mean it's it is a terrible situation and unfortunately here's even what's worse for healthcare workers is some of the problems that you, we I keep saying you, but some of the problems that we are dealing with are not our problems. You know, politicians talking about stuff they don't know, government programs not coming through on stuff that was supposed to happen, people getting misinformation about, you know, vaccines, etc. whatever topic you want to pick. Yet we're the ones dealing with the damage being done by this and not the people doing the damage. Right. And so not only are we dealing with COVID and we're dealing with the stress of, you know, what is it going to do to us? What's it going to do to our family? You know, whether you agree with how some things have been treated or not, but then on top of it, other people are creating messes that we are inherently going to, and to get. And I, it's just like, good Lord, looking at this from a fishbowl perspective, like when you take yourself out of the fishbowl for a second, you're like, this is a, goddamn disaster <laughs> like so, so could somebody please try and help us out a little bit more with what's going on and and Jacqueline I would say you know as far as the BTSD I hope that uh, I hope that you get the counseling and treatment that you need for that um, if you took a COVID crisis contract and you were at basically ground zero of this shit then you have walked through a hell that not many people can even begin to fathom and realize. And there, there, I mean, there, there's no doubt that it's going to scar you emotionally and mentally. Um, that's not to say that you can't come back from it though. So, and I, I don't know that I've ever said this on the air, but yeah, recently, I mean, I think it's something, and I'm sure Ben knew it about me and I knew it about myself, but uh, I recently have been diagnosed with PTSD and going down that path uh, for other prior to COVID problems. 
And so, Jacqueline, I just wanted to say everything Ben said is 100% correct. Get the treatment. Talk to somebody. I, I don't know all the ins and outs of your case, but I, I would tell you right now, just like I said at the top of the show, that you may or may not have heard because it might have been on the first one with all the technical <laughs> difficulties. But one of the things that I find so important about like the National Suicide Hotline and everything like that is that this condition can make you feel like you're the only person in the world dealing with these problems and you're not. There are people out there that want to help you, your friends, your family, people at the national suicide hotline. Not that you're that far. I'm just saying if you or somebody, you know, is that far, there are resources. Just make sure that you are taking advantage of them. Miranda makes an interesting comment that kind of segues into my next thought. Um, Transferring from ER to ICU, you see two sides of the treatment and it'll rock you to your core. Uh, she says, in the ER, you didn't have time to learn the grandkids' names, the dog that doesn't leave the patient's side. In the ICU, you see their faces, their pictures, you know their whole story. And I think for us in um, the clinic side, that's kind of where we're at too. You know, I used to love ER and I would tell people that, you know, I loved ER. It was great because I had you for a couple hours and you're either going, you know, either getting admitted or, you know, you were getting transferred out. You were going home, whatever the case may be. I only had you for that short amount of time. And then when I became into family practice, I didn't know initially if I would like it because you get to know people, you know, and I don't mean that bad. I love my patients. Don't get me wrong, but a whole different thought process it is and in the clinic side it's that same feeling except it's I, it, I, to me it almost feel like it's turned up a degree because for some of these patients i've taken care of them for years and years and years you know these are patients that have given me you know christmas cards or you know, pictures of the kids as they're growing up or graduation announcement or whatever the case may be. And you see them via telehealth and you say, you know, you got some symptoms. Let's, uh, you know, let's, let's get you into the fever clinic, get you tested. They get tested. They come back positive for COVID. You do another telehealth with them. How you feeling? Okay. You know, how's things going type thing. And, you know, it, one patient in particular, I can say, you know, I'm, we're going to do what we can to get you through this. And you know, then it's like a couple of days later, it's messages from the wife. Hey, he's not doing well. Um, you know, ends up going to the ER and admitted and then ultimately and unfortunately ends up passing away. And it just, because you do know everything about them and you do know all those little aspects of their life it just hits on a level that that it never would have hit me in the ER so I've done both the ER and ICU and I would say that's a pretty fair and accurate assessment as a matter of fact in some ways I it's even more disconnected at the family practice level because even in the ICU I can literally sometimes see you getting better you know like you know it's over a longer period of time 
but we can actually see like, oh, I gave him medicine. Medicine's working. He's getting better. You know, in family practice, oh, I have COVID-19. And so now I just have to deal with it, but I, I can't do minute to minute. I can't take care of the patient and make sure at the same level that you can with your bedside. When you're at ER and ICU, you're literally touching the patient. You're like, I'm right here. I'm giving the medicine. I'm doing what I can to take care of this. In family practice as a provider now, you have to, for lack of a better term, insulate yourself somewhat and be like, I have to step back so I can see the whole picture and take care of my whole patient. But you lose some of that perspective. Like I don't get the gratification of the patient getting better. Yeah. I just have to kind of deal with, I did what I did and I'm hoping I made the right decision based on all the information I was given. And sometimes that is worse because now you're just sitting around like, well, I hope that was it. You know, and I, I hate for people to think that we're just sitting around guessing and I don't mean it to sound like that. I just mean at the end of the day, I can prescribe any sort of medicine in the world or do whatever, but that doesn't mean it's going to get better or that the patient's going to even take the medication per se. Like there's a whole bunch of things that you can factor into it. But the point is at the end of the day, we're even further back from the process. And so we have to sit around and wait. So we have the bad information and then we just have to wait and see the results. And I think sometimes that was even harder to be in that position. Yeah. I think we were further away from the direct care per se, but then we were still, as much emotionally invested if not more sometimes and that's yeah. a weird conundrum to be in because it's like all i can do is take care of you like tom and i are talking on zoom right now yeah um and yet you know you want to do so much more but uh, i don't know it's just it, it you can't be hands-on that's not my job anymore and so while being hands-on was so much worse in some ways it allowed you to have closure like your loop closed right then they either got better or they got worse but you knew it you were right there with them when it happened yeah. as a provider i'm responsible for a bunch of people who are looking to me for answers and now i have to live with the mental guilt of did i do everything like it literally will keep you awake sometimes at night going but did i did i do everything and in, in, in some ways, that to me was that's been harder as a provider than it ever was as a bedside nurse. Um, we're getting a, I say we're, we're getting a lot of traffic here, so let's talk um, about that for a second. Miranda, is, you know, can we talk about how counseling sessions aren't generally covered by insurance or only covered? You know, only a couple of sessions are covered, therefore we can't afford it. Those of us who are at night don't have ample opportunity. However, that's everyone's answer is to go to counseling. Um, Seth jumped in and said, you know, working in mental health, I can tell you reform is needed. 100% agree. <laughs> there, in, hopefully, maybe if something good comes from COVID other than telehealth, maybe this could be a catalyst to start looking at mental health reform. Um, I don't know. I, I wish I had the answer. Um well, the problem is, is it doesn't matter what answer you give. Some of the people aren't going to like it and they're going to want to fight you over it, even if it's just your opinion. And I and I guess that's also part of where we're at now. And that's part of what's contributing to everyone's burnout is this everything or nothing point of view. A lot of people have. Um, 
me personally, I guess in some ways I have that myself, but in the opposite direction, um, I think insurance companies shouldn't be in the business of practicing medicine. I don't think they should be allowed to tell providers how to provide or Mm -hmm. therefore be able to limit access to testing that we order. And they do that daily. I think insurance companies are the worst entities on planet earth and i wish nothing but bad things and that they no longer exist in the next couple of years i know that's not going to happen <laughs> but i see daily like i physically examine a patient i'm like and again we're, we're going to use a big test that's ubiquitous everybody will know we'll say an mri uh, this patient needs an mri of their brain nope like it it becomes a fight with a person that's never seen them that most of the time does not have any medical training that their company wants money. Like you, I don't think the patients realize they're paying all this money to their insurance companies and they're not getting they're They're paying money to an insurance company just to have the insurance company fight them to do the services that they're being paid for. Yeah. So it's a, Oh, it's it's and a daily headache let's not even get into like you know the the you know backroom deals with this medication company versus this one and so you know come january 1st that medication that that patient's been on in suddenly years now yeah it's no longer covered you're going to, have to go with this other medication that may not work as well yeah yeah or the very fact that we're going through it like so wait a second my patient's been on basaglar for 15 years and suddenly today i have to prescribe lantus or levermere like what when did that come about and who made that decision so yes that's that could be an entire series of episodes maybe of just of just ben and i yelling (laughs) that's what it would turn into we will start calling out insurance companies but (laughs) I will absolutely be happy to tell them all. I hope their buildings crumble. So, speaking of opinions and people fighting, Tom. Okay. <laughs> the disinformation on Facebook. This is where, for me personally, I may be insulated from direct care and COVID 19 patients, but holy shit. This is where a lot of the burnout almost comes from is just dealing with the insane bullshit that is out there. And when you try to combat that with science and evidence, it's, well, no, you're wrong, you know, and and then it's a fight. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, I think this has been something that has been leading up for a very long time. And this pandemic literally like the fuse was lit. Yeah. And then COVID came along and said, here's a bunch of dynamite for that fuse to go to. And then it just went off. I. Oh, there's so many. I I don't know how to describe it to somebody that doesn't have to deal with it all the time because people outside of healthcare, they see the misinformation and they might not even appreciate everything that they're seeing, but they see it 
but they're not having to deal with it. Like they see people posting about it or going back and forth, but they're not literally trying to take care of a person who is then being obstinate because of something they believe because they saw it on Facebook or Google or a friend of mine's cousin works in a hospital and she told them and all of a sudden you're like, what? No, none of that's true. And so having to it's pathetic that we even have to make that a factor. I have to factor in the amount of disinformation my patient has been fed and believed because I've also noticed that there are some patients that are like, yeah, I heard that, but you're the professional. So I'm going to listen to you. I'm like, thank you. All right. So let's move forward. (laughs) So, so they may have disinformation, but they don't have a factor of belief. So treatment doesn't really change. It's the people that are like, no, 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 no. Uh, and D you're correct. I take it personal because so you came to my office to ask me about my opinion and then told me it was wrong because it doesn't agree with what you have a preconceived notion of believing. And literally it makes my, like I want to pop out of my head from blood pressure spikes every time this happens. And I do believe uh, Audra in the comments, um, Facebook and social media has made this thing a thousand percent worse for a bunch of reasons. Um, The main one and uh, two of our guests talked about this that used to be anti-vaxxers and now are pro-vax is first of all, it's like a cult. So they get this, they get this cult like information spewing forwards. But then as we're finding out now in retrospect is Twitter Facebook, Instagram, name a platform. They know that there is misinformation being spread on their platform and they are doing nothing to stop it. And before anybody says anything, that is not protected by the First Amendment. If you believe it's protected by the First Amendment, read the fucking Constitution because that's applying to government services. Facebook's a private entity. It doesn't have to, okay? And I'm not saying they should censor everything under the sun. I'm saying when you are putting out stuff under the hashtag fuck vaccines, perhaps that is not a person that should be giving out vaccine information. I mean, I can't disagree with you. Um, Here's my question for you that I want you to uh, pontificate, Tom. Oh, boy. (laughs) do you think had COVID-19 happened at a midterm as opposed to an election year, things would have been different. I'm not, I'm not speaking about who the president was. No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I know. I hypothetically, no, Um, I don't. Okay. Let's, let me rephrase that. Is the year still 2020? Is it 2020 still? Um, Because I'll tell you right now, we did this once. America's been through this once. It was 1918. And you know what they did? They said, shut the fuck up and get the vaccine and put on a mask. And people did. And things got better. Okay, that's why we're here now. People got smallpox. And the government said, hey, we put some people on this. And they came up with this vaccine. And you should take it so you don't get smallpox. And guess what? We don't got fucking smallpox. Okay. Like, how's it feel not having polio? It's pretty goddamn good not having polio. So 
the point is, is I don't believe it's a matter of political party. I think it's a matter of time in 2020. There are people that believe the earth is flat and we are allowing them to have a platform where they're spreading it as if it's true information. There is a new, uh, what is a conspiracy and you could find it where people think birds are fake. They believe the CIA killed all the birds in the world and replaced them with drones because they had drone technology, apparently in the sixties and every bird you see in the world now is actually out to watch you there. And these people are allowed to vote. These people are allowed to make decisions that affect you and I like, can you imagine any other time in the history of the goddamn world? See, I knew one person was going to say it. I'm not shocked. It's him either. But any other time in history, people will be like, hey, that's great. Go back under your rock. Okay. Or like I said, people bitch about the oppression, and I'm making air quotes now, of oppression of having to wear a paper filament mask for five minutes while they're inside of a Walmart. And they're comparing it to the Holocaust. I, I have seen that. Yes. Okay. And that was a U.S. representative who oh so anyways the point is i i don't believe that the midterm or the general election or any of that was the driving factor i think it was people's ability to be stupid and therefore amplify their stupidity to other people who were then dumb enough to believe it was the problem because like i, I said 1918 there's there's pictures and I love them. I had them all over the place, but there are pictures of cops arresting people for trying to ride public transport in San Francisco for not wearing a mask. They're like either put on a mask or get the fuck off the trolley. And they're like, no, I don't got to. So the cops hit him with the nightstick and put him in jail. And I'm like, that's exactly what I wish could happen right now. But. We've tried to become a better society, but all we did in the meantime was hand a megaphone to people to spread stupidity. Well, see, now I, wow, I really lit your fuse, man. Yeah, sorry, sorry, Um, sorry. You said pontificate, so I I did. You did. I think it probably made it worse just because it politicized it more than it should have been. Um, would it have been different? I don't know. And like you said, maybe it very well may not have been. I don't know. Um, but I, I don't know. I just you, you just really took it well, all. Well, like I said, uh, I, I'm I'm trying. <laughs> I again, I'm trying to stay unpolitical about this i i do think that the current stance of the parties we have in america currently are not helping us in a lot of senses but that notwithstanding in our base rule on this show to try to avoid political stance as much as possible i'm trying to stick to so that's what i'm saying is i i and, and but i do truly believe that it's a lack of republican democrat okay they're they're fucking idiots in both those parties i think it's more of a the social 
quagmire that we built. And then all we were waiting on was insert, you know, catastrophe. <laughs> and here it came. Yeah. And then we put it in there. And like I said, I do blame Zuckerberg. I do blame the, the people that ran t- or run Twitter because they knew from the beginning some of this stuff was bullshit. And they allowed it. And when people were putting out misinformation, they allowed it. And when people were doing things that were hurting other people, they allowed it. And when they knew it was wrong, they allowed it. And so, man, if somebody needs to be held accountable, I I know some places that it should start. Wisconsin? Um. (laughs) Yeah, well, Wisconsin's got a lot of problems. Wyoming? I don't know. Yeah, Wyoming, um, Wyoming, Wyoming, you know, should just be fenced off and used as a national prison. Like, seriously, what is there? A couple no. rich people and cows like <laughs> they they have a population of like eight people per square mile. So, oh, we're going to lose our listeners in Wyoming, all three of them, because there's only 16 people in the whole fucking state. So I screw Wyoming, like use it as a missile testing ground. I don't care. I will say, though, Tom, I do use the. uh and that's for the one particular listener from Wyoming that's making stupid comments. So when people are like, wow, this guy really hates, I should say stupid, instigating comments. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. They're not stupid. They're funny. They're just instigating. Um, so when people are like, I don't really hate Wyoming, I'm just making some uh, specific comments for that one listener. Thank you. There, <laughs> there it is. I do use the 1918 flu as proof though to my patients when they come in they're like you, you know because the question i get most frequently is do you ever think we're going to be out of you know stop wearing masks and i said well we did after the 1918 flu yeah i mean eventually it's going to you know we're, we're not going to be in masks anymore and then they're like oh yeah that makes sense now hopefully in the you know 21 16 pandemic maybe they'll learn some more shit hopefully i don't know um <sighs> based on history probably not uh, yeah. But, yeah i i don't i don't think so because I, I guess you know the crazy part is it seems like we were learning it seems like somehow now that we have the greatest amount of technology at our fingertips like my cell phone has more power than the entire apollo space program and yet People are dumber now in general than any time before. Idiocracy. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I'm watching idiocracy happen in real time. You just didn't know it was a documentary. Yeah. That is no (laughs) kidding at all. I just, I, I can't believe. And again, it's okay to have a different opinion. I'm not saying that anybody has to have the same opinion. But let's be real clear. You saying I don't believe vaccines work is not an opinion. Or I let me rephrase that. It is an opinion. opinion. It's a stupid one. It's not a fact. Okay, you can't deny facts. And that's what somehow has changed is people have decided that if the fact no longer conforms to what they like, it's no longer a fact. And I'm like, no, that's not how facts work. But yet that here needs we to are. Be a t-shirt. We need to make that shirt and put it on our website. That's not how facts work. Yes. Oh. But the problem is, the problem is, is 
there are a lot of people that have the ignorant audacity to walk around thinking that they're right because they wear I saw a guy with a t-shirt the other day says the media is the worst virus there is. And you know what? There is a lot of things I don't like about some media, but are they certainly the worst thing ever? No. And obviously I could tell this guy's opinion on worldviews without ever having to talk to him. And I guarantee you, if I asked you if he was vaccinated, we all know the answer to that question. And that's my point is not only is ignorance being embraced, it is being glorified by the people that don't want to do it. Like in 1918, people may not have liked wearing a mask, but in general society, they said, yeah, but it's good for all of us. And the people that study viruses say it's good for us. So shut up and put up a mask. Okay. Nobody liked it. Nobody likes it now, but we all understood. And today they're like, no. And when you're, what do you mean? No, they're just like, no. What do you mean? No, you know, uh, let's talk about this. This is something we could talk about. It, it does run some political lines, but we can dance around that is uh, Dr. Fauci. The guy has been in government service since Ronald Reagan. And nobody had a problem with him. Until he said something they didn't like, and now suddenly he's the devil. Right, right. No, no, it's this last 18 months. It's not the it's not that previous 29 years of public service. It's this last 18 months that he really lost it. So I just that's the type of stuff I'm talking about. It is is stuff like that. Well, I don't like it, so therefore it must not be true. I'm like, that won't make you less dead. And you know, it won't make you less dead. It won't make you less on a vent. It won't make your your grandmother less dead when you give her the virus because you decided you didn't have to take precautions. Uh, D commented, a lot of people are confused about what actual facts are, though. Huh. Well, I don't know if they're actually confused about it or they just want to ignore them. Well, and again, Ben has said this before, and let's talk about that for a minute, is where are you getting your information? So D, to a point, there might be some confusion about what is a fact versus versus just information that they read. And, and so I'm willing to say you're, you're right about that. However, as Ben has said numerous times before, and I've backed him up on it because I can't agree enough, if you're looking for anti-vax information, or if you're looking about for vaccine information, let me rephrase that. Let's say you don't know and you go to a website that says vaccines will kill your children.com. I don't think you're going to find a lot of uh, either a accurate or B, um, you know, information that's not biased. All right. You're going to find stuff. That's all how it's going to kill your child. Okay. But that's the problem is people are going to these websites and they're going, this must be it. So when people are like, why do they teach us basic science in middle school? It's because of stuff like this. Because if you had any information whatsoever, you'd go, let's see here. I want to find out information about vaccines. So would I, A, go to the CDC's website, B, the World Health Organization's website, or C, antivaxamerica.com? Where are they going? Okay, yeah. Antivaxamerica.com. So, yeah, exactly. So 
I, I want to agree with you, D, that there are people that don't know the information. But on the flip side, they're ignorant enough to keep reinforcing it. And so at what point is it the person's responsibility to make an informed decision? I, I just, you know, you come to a medical professional and I'm not saying every medical professional is built the same. I'm just saying don't listen to the person on TV who's got an agenda versus your family doctor. That's what I'm saying. I think you sum that up greatly. Um, facts aren't, or feelings aren't facts. That was, that is a hundred percent correct. Yeah. But yeah. that's where we're at. That's where we're at. Our people are like, no, I don't like it. Well, there you go. So Tom, anything else you want to talk about? Uh, I think we, uh, We've we've covered uh, personal life, professional life, disinformation. Um, we've had lots of comments. Oh, um, we got a lot of comments on this episode. Um, <laughs> one idiot that we deal with anyway. So, <laughs> but he's a lovable idiot. So, he, unfortunately, he is. Yeah. Um, and here I'm going to address. I see another comment, and this is actually something I've seen a lot. So I want to make sure I'm on record on social media answering this, but why are they putting GPS trackers in the shots? And first of all, a, I wish more people understood that that was a joke. B I cry myself to sleep at night. Sometimes not literally, but figuratively thinking about the fact that there are people who believe that and C, why would the government do that? You have a cell phone. You're on a computer right now. It literally knows where you're at every second. It's listening to you. It's watching you. It tracks all your information. If you text a person, it reads it. So why would they spend the money to put a GPS tracker in a shot when you have willingly given away all your information 24 hours a day for multiple years leading up to now? Not to mention the fact that the doses in the vials are multi-dose vials. Yeah. So how am I so, not giving 10 to one person and none to the next nine? The science. Sci but <laughs> science doesn't count anymore, remember? So I somehow I have the... Um, see, that's the conundrum. <laughs> so we have the science to make liquid nanochips and make sure each person gets one. But then that same person will then say, but science isn't good enough to fight viruses. I'm like, wait a second. I'm good enough to make liquid metallics, but I'm not good enough to fight a virus. Or. Yeah. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. I don't trust the CDC about vaccines, but if they tell me that my lettuce has E. coli. Oh, oh shit. You say romaine lettuce has E. coli. God damn, every Wendy's in America suddenly can't put lettuce on a burger. Like, Jesus Christ. But if they tell you to wear a mask, mm -mm, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. Um, actually, let me address. Let's address one more thing and then we can get off here because this someone brought up a really good point. Julie says, are you guys seeing a lot of myocarditis from the vaccine? Oh. From the from the vaccine in younger males, based on the CDC information, this is mostly male 16 ish. But at what age does it stop? So. Really, really, really fantastic question, Julie. So, no, I am not seeing or have I had a lot of patients with myocarditis from the vaccine. It does tend 
if they are going to develop it from the vaccine, it has traditionally been more in males, just like with the Johnson and Johnson, the CVT uh, clots were mostly in women. However, my and again, I probably should have looked up some more information right before the show. But the last time I saw the information, the rate of incident in those males is no more than the general public. So it's not like getting the vaccine puts you at a greater risk. It's just saying they they have had incidents of myocarditis that they are attributing to the vaccine. Also, most of those males are healing up. Right. They are they are going to recover from this. Um, unfortunately, there has been some patients with some permanent damage and worse. Um, with age, does it stop is not also a question I think we have the entire scope on. So I don't really want to give a comment on that. I do know that it does tend to hit those younger males in that teenage years. Um more than others. But when it stops or some of that other information we just don't have yet. Or at least I haven't seen it. And I would just piggyback onto that, that correlation is not necessarily causation. Um, you know, like when a medication goes into clinical trials and they test it in, you know, like Viagra, for example. Viagra was a blood pressure medicine when it went to clinical trials. Yeah, it wasn't um, even for, you know, yeah. happy time. And so. <laughs> when they figured out that the side effect of what it causes now that they, you know, have promote it for, uh, they figured they could make a hell of a lot more money off of it, so that's why it's now an ED medication as opposed to a, a blood pressure medication. But when they do these clinical trials, they have to report any potential symptoms that the patient is reporting while they're in the clinical trial. That's why if you look at the data for all of the you know, most medications, if you look at the side effects, it's going to say, oh, you know, you have like a 1% chance of getting a cold or you have 1% chance of nausea and vomiting diarrhea. And it, you know, you have a 1% chance of pregnancy. Uh, not necessarily directly from the medication, but the fact that those things happen while somebody that was on that medication was in clinical trials, so they had to list it on there. But again, not necessarily from the medication per se, but the legality of bullshit that they had to put everything out there as far as that goes. Well, and I, I just want to give a couple quick numbers since she did ask that. Um, I'm trying to find the most recent on myocarditis, but I think I'm going to give you a number that is really big, but not for the myocarditis. It's across the entire world, 3.82 billion, billion with a B. Doses of this va of vaccines for COVID-19 have been given. 3.82 billion. Uh, that's a lot. That is a lot. 24.9% of the entire globe is now fully vaccinated. So one in four people in the entire world now has been exposed to these vaccines or or I should say it's fully vaccinated with a lot more people having been at least vaccinated once or got the Johnson and Johnson. Um, so while I can't find the exact numbers, and so I don't want to give out any. Um, well, hold on one second. Misinformation. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to avoid some misinformation here, but I'm trying to find. 
well, while you're looking that up, <laughs> as yeah. we're wrapping up, um, you can find us Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all at Justin Podcast website, www.justinpodcast.com. Our email is admin at justinpodcast.com as well. Um, like we mentioned earlier, you know, if you or someone you know potentially needs help and is having suicidal thoughts, please reach out to a friend, a family, counselors. There's also the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. Anytime we talk mental health, we like to have that out. 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-TALK. So let me give out a couple numbers real quick, and then we can get off here. So um, as for the United States of America, we have given out... Where is that number again? Sorry, I'm having to go back and forth. 341 million doses. 500, so roughly 550,000 doses per day are given. Okay. So 341 million doses have been given out. All right. Out of that, since as of July 19th, there have been a reported 1,148 cases of myocarditis or pericarditis among people ages 30 or younger, of which through follow-up and medical records, the CDC and FDA have only confirmed 674 of those confirmed and with people with the medication. So 671 versus 341 million is the numbers we're looking at. So, and apparently I did find in the other answer to your question though, apparently 30 is when they're, they're saying we probably don't have any problems after 30, but again, this goes back to the overwhelming safety of most of these vaccines. Now, again, I, there's lots of questions about longitudinal. I don't have those answers because they don't exist. But what I'd say is we're looking at 341 million doses in America alone, 3.82 billion across the globe at 674 cases. I mean, that's a pretty accurate. The last number I saw on deaths versus vaccination was out of the last 90,000 deaths associated with COVID-19. Only 43 of those deaths were people that were vaccinated. 43. So every other person that died were unvaccinated. That's a 99 point like five two percent i can't remember what the exact it's over 99 percent effectiveness of you not dying or having overly serious complications due to COVID 19 if you're vaccinated those are facts facts so so get your vaccines um it's it's always good if you have a question ask it i'm never going to tell someone don't ask a question but look at where you're getting your information from again if you're going to ask a question about vaccines Perhaps you want to talk to your local health professional. You want to look up the CDC, the American Medical Association, you know, wherever. Don't go to your best friend's sister, okay, because she read on Facebook while she was sitting on a crapper one day that vaccines are bad, okay? That's not the same thing. On that note, get your vaccine. Right, Donald? Yes. For God's sakes, get your damn vaccines i hope that uh, this episode helps some people just with us going through our own personal stuff about COVID 19 we know that you know we may be in round eight of this 12 round fight but we are nearing the end if you're having issues reach out to someone text a friend um you know talk to your 
healthcare provider. Seek counseling if your insurance will pay for it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like they deserve the right to even tell you no, but that's a whole nother yeah. episode. But know that you're not going through this alone. Everybody's dealing with this. Reach out to people that, that even that are still dealing with it, and sometimes like this has been very you know cathartic for us just because we can bounce shit off each other like this. Um, granted, we do it in front of an audience, but uh, there's times we do it on the phones as well. <laughs> you know, like, yes, uh, talk me off a ledge. That's yeah, always a good. Yeah. That's always a good text message to get from your friends. <laughs> talk me off a ledge. But on that note, I hope you have uh, you know wash your hands, wear your mask, get your damn vaccine. Hey, everybody, please stay safe out there. Swearing just to pass the time Lately I see why I am alone I caught some road rage and I thought of you And all the many times you say I should have known Took a press so I could find my cheek Find mediocrities the best that I could do Thank you.